0: Welcome back to Orthodox.Faith. This is John Harmon. And this is Ron Bentley. Ron, we've been away for several weeks. Yeah. We've both had a lot going on, but we've kept our regular schedule by re-releasing some older episodes. You picked one of your favorites, and I picked one of mine. And I think we were both a little bit worried about doing that, but, (laughs) but we did have a couple of significant milestones go by while we were away, didn't we? Yes, we did. Our podcast hosting service informed us that we've had over 10,000 downloads Mm. of episodes of the podcast now. That was exciting, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, we get this email from our provider, Buzzsprout, every time we cross a milestone, but the milestones have gotten farther and farther apart just because we have to go further to get to the next milestone. We hadn't seen one for a while, and then out of the blue, while we were away, 10,000 downloads. That was fun.
0: Yeah, not only that, but we had one of the highest weekly download rates that we've seen in a while, and that was encouraging, too. John, it's probably worth pointing
1: out we depend entirely on our listeners to tell others about us.
0: Yeah, that's right. We don't do any advertising of any sort other than just listing our podcast on the various services, at least not yet. Our listeners do the rest. Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to advertise if we wanted to. (laughs) Right. So we're completely dependent on you, the listeners, to tell others about us if you enjoy what you're hearing. (laughs) (laughs) It's also worth mentioning the cost of hosting the podcast isn't large, but it is covered by donations from our listeners, and we greatly appreciate that.
1: And we also appreciate the feedback we get from time to time. You can reach us by email at contact at orthodox.faith. We do like to hear from you, especially what works
0: and what doesn't work, if you must. (laughs) If you must. (laughs) Well, Ron, we're kicking off a new series here, aren't we? I must admit, I'm a little apprehensive about this one. (laughs) We're headed off into the deep realm of theology. I am a little apprehensive
1: about this one myself. Uh, Not only are we headed into the realm of theology, we're going to tackle a topic that has divided Christians for a very long time. Those who know us won't be terribly surprised by the position we take, but it nevertheless has me a little worried. So the topic is?
0: The topic is grace and free will. Well, that was (laughs) (laughs) anticlimactic. grace and free will. What's so controversial about that?
1: Many of our listeners may recognize it better if I say it involves the debate over predestination and what exactly that means. Do we have a choice in the things that we do or are we simply destined to do certain things? A predestined, one might say. In the Christian context, one of the questions that comes up is, do I have a choice to answer God's call to a restored relationship or does God just choose whether I get that restored relationship or not? And this has a bearing on lots of other things we say about what we believe. That'll be clear as we talk through this topic.
0: Okay. I can see how this might get certain listeners, let's say, excited. (laughs) Yes. And
1: you and I share a position on this. What listeners may not know is that disagreements around this topic go way back Christians have been debating this for a very long time. There is value, I think, in examining this debate, even when we don't all agree on the way to settle it. It often surprises people to learn what we Christians do all typically
0: agree on And that's why I enjoy covering this topic. I think you said you were part of a Sunday school class at one point that routinely got derailed by this topic. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The church I attended in grad school, at least every other Sunday, it seemed we'd
1: get off on this topic and that's where we'd be until the end of the class.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, Ron, we're committed now. Grace and free will it is. I think you said we'll do this in three to four episodes. Mm -hmm. So let's kick it off and see where it goes. Ron, you said the topic was grace and free will. Then you said it involves a discussion about what predetermination means. And some might ask, why didn't you just start with that? Fair enough.
1: Suffice it to say that historically, the debate among Christians has been a debate that pits
0: grace against free will, or at least tries to figure out how those two interact. Well, I've said numerous times that you're the theologian here, (laughs) but I, I know enough about the background to say this. Grace stands for what God has done for us Mm -hmm. or what God does for us. Mm -hmm. Some like to emphasize that it's what God does for us even though we don't deserve it. right? Free will, on the other hand, that probably stands for decisions we ourselves make, things that we choose to do. Yeah, that's roughly it. There are complications in describing free will, but let's set those aside for right now. Okay, but it's clear enough, though, that what we're talking about is, on one hand, those things that are God's responsibility, grace— And on the other hand, those things that are our responsibility, free will. Precisely. The challenge lies in giving each of those its due.
1: There's some real possibility for tension here, uh, possibly a balance to be struck.
0: I think you often describe this as a tension between two extremes. Yes, I do. And by using the word extreme, I'm already tipping my
1: hand. I'll (laughs) describe those right now. But I want to acknowledge right off the bat that some people are going to hear this and say, That's no extreme. That's just correct.
0: (laughs) There's nothing like jumping right into a controversy.
1: Good dramatic tension. It
0: could get us a bunch of new listeners. Yeah, or lose us half of them. (laughs) I, I fear there's no turning back now, though. Okay, well, here goes. Let me give you
1: extreme position number one. Let's call this the free will position. And it goes like this. I'm basically a good person. After all, God made me, right? Right. And
0: everything God makes is good, right? Yes. Everything God made was good as God originally made it. We probably need a few caveats when it comes to our current state as humans, but but we'll let that go for now. Well, if all that's true, then I must be basically
1: good. Now, I do admit I have the power to choose to do wrong, and sure, we often do that but that's what we're here for, isn't it? I need to make the right decisions, do the right things, be the good person God wants me to be. And not only did God make me, God also gave me all kinds of instruction about how to be good. I have the law of the Old Testament. I have the teachings of Jesus. I have the instruction of the apostles. I have everything I need. And surely God would not require something of me that I cannot deliver. Ah. So I have it all, a nature that's basically good, a will to choose to do the right thing, and the instruction manual, so to speak.
0: It's all up to me now. Just go do it. (laughs) While on the surface, that sounds reasonable enough, I, I see some problems here. Okay. In particular, this account probably doesn't reckon just how devastating the effect of sin is. Yeah, you got it. Although
1: you'd be surprised how many people hear that account, and their first reaction is, sounds good to me. What's wrong with
0: that? Right. Just... Go be good. (laughs) Who's going to argue with that? Right. (laughs) But you said that was extreme position number one. I'm guessing there's an extreme position number two. Yes, there is. Let's call this extreme position number
1: two, the grace position. And this is where I'm really going to get myself in trouble. (laughs) There are good, well-intentioned, well-informed Christians who are going to hear this and immediately object. That's no extreme. Hmm. If some of the listeners are in that camp, I hope they can just bear with us for a while. Here goes. God made everything that exists, including me. So far, so good? From day one, we human beings messed up what God made. Ah, original sin, the fall. We just finished talking about that. True. The argument continues. In our current condition, every single human being is utterly and completely incapable of pleasing God. The only way we can please God is if God gives us the power to please God by God's grace. Once God does that, once God grants that grace, we can please God but we get no credit for it. It's all the work of God. This also means something else very difficult. When I fail to please God, it is in fact my fault. I sinned, I knew better. However, if I never reach the point that I can please God, it must be because God chose not to give me that final influx of grace, if you will. To say this a different way, whether or not I do well, it is all God. Given our falling condition, God now decides who gets to please God and who does not.
0: Okay. No, I don't like that position either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what you and I agree on. There are other Christians, though, who would say that second position, the grace position, is just about right. And in many ways, it is. We are completely dependent on God's grace. In our fallen condition, it's impossible for us to please God.
0: Yeah, but the idea that God chooses who will please him and who won't, that just seems one step too far. And you wouldn't be the only Christian to think that. All right. I see what we're up against. There are problems with both of these counts, at least as far as you and I are concerned, <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> we as Christians are bound to affirm both grace and free will. Where Christians will differ is on the rationale they offer to do that. Precisely. Ron, I suppose this isn't strictly a Christian debate. Even in non-Christian settings, there are debates over what we might call determinism and free will. Are our actions fully determined for us by our physical bodies, for example? Is our ability to choose our free will merely an illusion? Yeah, it's hard to believe this isn't in the background when people start debating nature
1: versus nurture.
0: Ah, yes. What am I destined to do just by nature of my genes? And what can I really influence by the choices I make? Right. When I've heard you discuss this in the past, Ron, you've mentioned one line of thinking that goes something like this. If, if I can paraphrase my non-scientific <laughs> understanding of things, we as modern humans are getting a firmer grasp on how our biology works. Mm-hmm. We're building an ever better understanding of how the physical building blocks of matter work. Right. So in, in theory it's possible that we could know the location and the movement of all the particles that make up our body. Mm -hmm. So if we could get a big enough artificial intelligence (laughs) and, and feed it all this information, wouldn't we know exactly what we as humans are going to do next? Right. So to put it
1: another way, is it possible
0: we're nothing more than the sum of the particles
1: bouncing around in our heads and in our bodies?
0: Yeah. Well, if so, then we're destined to do whatever we would do when those particles bounce the way they were destined to bounce from the time the universe came into existence. And our free will is nothing but an illusion. (laughs) Once again, I don't like where this landed. (laughs) (laughs) And again, you would not be alone. There
1: was a theoretical physicist by the name of Freeman Dyson. He was trained as a scientist, but also claimed to be a Christian. He thought quantum mechanics offered a possible way out of this dead end He looked to a thing physics students know as the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle, where the mere observation of physical realities influences its state.
0: Rod, I know we agreed we wanted this to be intellectually responsible, Mm -hmm. but I I didn't think I was signing up for this. (laughs) Well, it it gets worse. I
1: I, want to read an excerpt from one of Dyson's books, Disturbing the Universe. And just for the record, this book was intended for physics laity. Well, that would definitely include me. (laughs) Well, frankly, me too. In any case, Dyson wrote, I cannot help thinking that our awareness of our own brains has something to do with the process which we call observation in atomic physics. That is to say, I think our consciousness is not just a passive epiphenomenon carried along by the chemical events in our brains, but it's an active agent forcing the molecular complexes to make choices between one quantum state and another. In other words, mind is already inherent in every electron, and the processes of human consciousness differ only in degree but not in kind from the processes of choice between quantum states, which we call chance when they are made by electrons. Yeah, that was about as
0: bad as I was expecting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dyson's point is that he wants to make room for free will in the physical description of the world. It's probably worth noting Dyson acknowledges this perspective invoked extreme disdain from some of his colleagues. Well, we're going pretty deep here. And the relevance to grace and free will is? Uh, Fair question. At least two things, I think. First, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that our study of physics will ultimately have something decisive to say about all this. If we found out that the deterministic view of the world, the one Dyson was reacting to, was true, Then suddenly, extreme position number two, the grace position, doesn't look so extreme. Hmm. Second, there have been intellectually responsible physicists who aren't willing to give in to the conclusion that everything is predetermined. Just as I hope to argue, there are intellectually
0: responsible Christians that aren't willing to concede that either because I'm one of them. (laughs) All right, fair enough. But I think we're going to return to this and conclude that the Christian debate is substantially different. Right. It forms the questions differently and answers them differently as well. One of us needs to represent the common sense approach to these things. <laughs> and and after your last detour, run, I feel like that needs to be me. Yep, fair enough. What, <laughs> what does common sense have to say here? <laughs> well, first, there are lots of things we as humans can do. But there are some things we can't. Right. I can't run off the edge of a cliff and fly without assistance from someone or something else. Uh, right. A, a bit dramatic, but <laughs> but it works. There are things I cannot do no matter how much I might want to. Right. However, that doesn't mean I don't have free will. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of things I can do. When I make a choice between two things I am equally capable of doing, but where I cannot do both, then presumably I'm exercising my free will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, second, it seems clear to me that we proceed through our lives as if we ourselves have free will, and so does everyone around us. We construct arguments, hoping the weight of our arguments will influence someone to think or act differently, right? (laughs) Yeah, we we preach and sit through preaching under the assumption that it will affect (laughs) what we choose to do. Yeah, we correct our children again, on the assumption that we do not have to let them simply do whatever they were predestined to do. Mm -hmm. It it seems like the logic of our day-to-day activities just assumes something like free will. Yeah, the counter-argument, of course, is that
1: while we behave that way, it certainly doesn't eliminate the possibility that what we perceive
0: as free will is just an illusion. Hey, maybe we were destined to behave like free will exists. (laughs) Yeah, that is very tough to swallow, though. Mm -hmm. The world certainly does seem to change dramatically. If we throw away that assumption of free will.
1: Well, John, you observed earlier that the Christian debate is likely different than the secular debate, and you're exactly right. Christians are discussing something slightly different and certainly doing it in a very different way. The only way the secular debate might affect this is if it could be shown beyond any reasonable doubt that our actions are completely predetermined. If that were to happen, we then have physics weighing in in favor of what I call the extreme position number two, the grace position.
0: Well, it's safe to say the Christian discussion has to begin with a lot of givens. Mm -hmm. We've covered much of that in recent series, haven't we? Mm -hmm. For example, we take it as given that God created the world around us. We assume that God is ultimately responsible for creating us, too. Mm -hmm. We also assume, or at least most of us do, that what God created is good. Uh And we assume that we as human beings somehow messed up the good thing God created and wreaked havoc on the relationship we were supposed to have with God.
1: Yeah, that's all exactly right, of course. We might go a few steps further, though. I think these next observations catch Christians by surprise, but there is good scriptural warrant for all of this. We also assume that we now live in a state where it's impossible for us to live our lives without disappointing God.
0: Ah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Bingo. We assume it will require
1: some action on God's part to restore us to a condition where we can now please God. That's what we call grace. And finally, we take for granted that God accomplishes all this through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: So now we have to figure out how we can reconcile our complete dependence on God's grace with our ability to make a choice. Basically, that's it here's how I propose we go about doing this in the next few
1: episodes. I want to spend some time just walking through portions of scripture that have implications for this discussion. John, I think you're going to enjoy that part the most. (laughs) As long as we have some Old Testament passages in there. We absolutely do. (laughs) Then I want to look at the first time this became a major debate in the Christian world. It was a dispute between Augustine and a man named Pelagius in the late 300s and early 400s. And finally, I'd like to look at a proposal to resolve this, or at least to guide our thinking on these questions. I'll go ahead and show my cards now. I think Pelagius and Augustine both went to extremes. Not all Christians agree that Augustine went to an extreme though, and we'll get to that.
0: Well, we clearly have our work cut out for us, but I think that's where we need to wrap it up for this episode.
1: For more information about this podcast and our other activities, please see our website at orthodox.faith. That's orthodoc Thank you for listening.